for the past several weeks, we've been involved in this sermon series called Room for Doubt. And uh, this weekend, we conclude the sermon series with a final question. And the question for the weekend is, is it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? I want to show you a picture of a bumper sticker that was created by a Polish graphic artist whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce because there's no way that I can do it, but you can see in the bumper sticker that it's just the single word coexist. The interesting thing about this bumper sticker is that to write the word coexist, it incorporates symbols of Islam, pacifism, male and female, Judaism, Wicca, Taoism, and Christianity. And the idea behind the bumper sticker is when it comes to the spiritual issues and the spiritual ideologies of life, people just need to make the commitment to coexist. The definition of coexist is to live together peacefully even if you're, uh, even rather if your rivals, or live together peaceably even with your rivals and your adversaries. Well, there's another word that you, is used often in our modern world and our modern culture to communicate the same thing, and that's the word tolerance. Tolerance is a big word in our culture, especially in our American culture today, and tolerance by definition is a willingness to get along. You could even say that a simple definition of tolerance is the ability to choose to agree to disagree, and the inference is, is, is that you would do that peacefully. Now, if that's the universal definition of tolerance, then I say sign me up because in so many areas of life, I understand the value of just getting along. How about you? I mean, I do. I understand the value of just getting along. It's football season. You know that my favorite football team is University of Oklahoma because I grew up in Oklahoma. And some of you, I've told you before, you never talk to me unless Oklahoma loses. That's it. You never talk to me. <laughs> it's not bad on Saturday night because sometimes the game's not over and the, or it hadn't even started, but I come to church on Sunday and I think some of you are just lying in wait <laughs> a handful of times over the last several years, lying in wait to give me a hard time. And you know what? I have never in my whole life, I may or may not know who your favorite team is, but I have never in my life, not once, ever sought someone out after their team lost for the purpose of giving them a hard time, no matter how hard it is with some of you. <laughs> and so, I'm all for tolerance. I'm all for just getting along when it, is, when it comes to college football, no matter how t bad your team might be. But... There's a new definition for tolerance being promoted today that goes beyond just getting along. And this new definition for tolerance is that everyone is equally right, and so it's fundamentally wrong to disagree with or challenge anyone else's thinking. And trying to convert them to your way or your view is the ultimate no-no. But here's the irony, and I'm sure that most of you could agree with me or understand this. Oftentimes, the people who talk the loudest about the need for tolerance are the most intolerant people in the world especially when you don't fully and wholeheartedly embrace every single thing that they believe. And so here's my conviction. As Christians, we need to do our best to peacefully coexist with people who believe differently than we do, but we cannot embrace this new definition of tolerance. And the reason why we can't embrace this new definition of tolerance is because it goes against the very idea of truth something the Bible has a lot to say about. And at the very top of the list in the Bible are the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 6 when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And while as Christians, 
we need to do our best to live at peace with everyone, something the Bible actually talks about. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 literally says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. We can't pretend, we can't go through life pretending that every belief system and every philosophy and every ideology and every religion is right, not if we believe the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And just to make sure we're on the same page about that, Jesus is saying that the only way to have a right relationship with God is through faith in him. That's the only way. At the same time, let's just acknowledge this morning that that's a claim a lot of people find very upsetting. In fact, that's putting it mildly. That's a claim that a lot of people call narrow and arrogant and bigoted and insensitive and unloving and on and on and on. Several years ago, I was here at church on a Sunday morning, and a man in this church, his family no longer goes to church here, asked me to come, if I would come to his house later that day to talk with his wife who was dying of cancer. He wanted me to come and talk to her because while she personally identified as a Christian, she didn't believe that Jesus was the only way to God. And those two things are really in conflict with each other, identifying as a Christian but not acknowledging that Jesus is the only way to God. Those are in conflict with each other. She believed that all religious, all spiritual paths led to God as long as you were sincere in your belief and sincere in your commitment. And so after lunch that day, I went over and I visited her in her home. I knew this family, but I didn't know them very well. She was on oxygen. She was very weak, but she managed to sit on the couch and talk to me for about 30 minutes. I talked to her to the very best of my ability, and I prayed before I went over. I talked to her to the best of my ability about the uniqueness of Jesus, but nothing I said dissuaded her from her belief. She died not long after that visit. Her funeral was right here at the church, right here in this room, although I wasn't the one who performed the funeral. She brought someone else in to do that. Her problem was not that she had investigated all the different religions of the world and all the different spiritual ideologies of the world and found them to be true. Her problem was that she knew people who practiced other religions and other spiritual ideologies besides Christianity, and, they, and she knew them to be good, kind, honest, upright, moral and sincere people, and she simply couldn't reconcile in her mind a God who would reject them as his children. And so she rejected the belief that Jesus was the only way to God as being narrow-minded and arrogant. I told her, we talked about John chapter 14 and verse 6, I told her that I, I believe Jesus' words there, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I told her I believe those words were not spoken out of arrogance, but they were actually spoken out of compassion. And that more than anything else, what Jesus was doing was he was simply telling us the truth. But when it was all said and done, I couldn't convince her. Maybe you know someone who feels like that. Maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe you're uncertain about it. Maybe you have 
convictions about Christianity and convictions about the uniqueness of Jesus, but at the same time, you, you like her, know other people who seem so sincere and live out the reality of what they believe in so many tangible ways, and it's sometimes hard for you to understand that maybe God wouldn't be willing to accept them as his children. If that's the case, what I want to do is spend a little bit of time talking about that in light of three great myths about religion. And we'll just dive right in. If you're, like, if you're someone who likes to take notes, then write down next to number one, this first myth. When you get down to it, all religions are basically the same. That's myth number one. When you get down to it, all religions are basically the same. This is the all-too-common belief that while there are surface-level differences among the various religions of the world, if you strip them all down to their most basic essence, all religions fundamentally teach the same thing to it, so it doesn't really matter which one you follow. Now, to be clear, there are some points of agreement among the different religions of the world. For example, you take the religion of Islam and Christianity, and both of those agree on something that we call monotheism, which is just a word that means that there is only one God. You find that in both of those teachings. Most religions agree on the truth that the physical world that we live in, this, this tangible physical world that we're a part of every day, is not all that there is, that there is another world. There's a spiritual world that's unseen that surrounds us every single day as well. And you could go on and on and on. But there are major differences. And at the top of the list is Jesus' assertion that we've already noted multiple times in John 14, 6, that He is the only way to God. When Jesus says that He is the only way to God, then He puts Christianity in a class by itself because if the path to God is through Christ alone, then Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion or any other spiritual belief. It just can't. We can think of it like this, and you should write this down somewhere in your notes. The uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus. He's what makes the difference. Someone once said, other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find the truth. But Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. But Jesus says, I am the way to salvation. I am the way to God. I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you how to become enlightened. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you the door that leads to God. And Jesus says, I am the door. And then Jesus adds, so in light of all of this, follow me. Follow me. And I'm sure you see the difference. For a long time, people have tried to harmonize, somehow harmonize the various religions of the world. But the truth is, at the end of the day, there are drastic and irreconcilable differences between Christianity and every other spiritual belief system. Here's a simple way to draw a distinction between Christianity and all the other world religions. All other major world religions are based on people doing something, struggling and striving to earn the favor of God. Some examples would be people going on pilgrimages, giving money to the poor, avoiding certain foods, praying in specific ways, going through a series of reincarnations, and you can go on and on and on. All of these are attempts made by humans to reach out to God. But the central theme of Christianity that's found from cover to cover in the Bible is a God who reaches out to humans. That's a pretty big difference, don't you think? 
It's the exact opposite of what other religions teach. In fact, Christianity teaches us that there's nothing that we can do on our own, no matter how good we are, no matter how moral we are, no matter how upright we are. There's nothing good that we can do on our own that would earn a right relationship with God, so we might as well stop trying. Christianity teaches that we've all made mistakes in our lives. That's the one thing that we all have in common. The Bible calls that sin. Romans 3.23 literally says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, that sin has created a giant debt with God that we could never pay. But because God is not just a righteous God, He's also a merciful God and a gracious God, He took care of that debt by sending His one and only unique Son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross in our place. And with His death, He paid the penalty for our sin. With His death, He satisfied God's need for justice with regard to our sin. Look at these words on the screen from Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes and says, you were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, our sin was nailed to the cross with him. Think of it like this. Other religions could be spelled D-O, or in other words, do because they teach that people have to do a bunch of things to try to please God. In contrast, Christianity could be spelled D-O-N-E, done, because Jesus has done on the cross everything that we need to have a right relationship with God. Christianity is distinct and different from every other religion in the world. We started off by talking about the fact that there, there are some, diff, some, some similarities between different world religions. Do you know that in both Christianity and in Buddhism, we find a story of a prodigal son? Now, if you're familiar with that, and probably you are because it's one of the most well-known parables of the Bible, it's found in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 begins like this, uh, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I like the way the New Living Translation says that, notorious, I, you want to be a sinner or a no, notorious sinner? Or a tax collector, I don't know what's worse. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. How cool is that, Right? that they came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, the religious leaders, complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And verse 3 of Luke 15 says, so Jesus told them this story, and he told the story about the man who had the 100 sheep, and one wandered away, and he left the 99 to go find the one, right? That's our God, right? Everyone say, right. But that wasn't enough, and so he tells the story of a woman who had 10 silver coins, and she loses one, and she wasn't content that she had 10 coins. She turned her house upside down to go and find the one. That's our God, right? And then he tells the story of the prodigal son, about a son who was rebellious and had a sinful heart, and he asked his father for his inheritance way before he deserved it, and his father gave it to him, and he took it off to a far land and wasted it all on rebellious living and just, you, you know the story, he just found himself in a really bad place. Well, Buddhism tells the same kind of a story. Two, two rebellious sons, they leave home, they waste what they have, they see the error of their way, and at one point they come to their senses and both of them choose to return home to be reconciled with their fathers. In the Buddhist version of the story, the prodigal son came home and was required by his father to work off the penalty for his rebellion 
by spending 25 years hauling human waste. That's not how the story that we know ends, is it? The story that we know ends with the prodigal son returning home, and you know that he was rehearsing his speech to his father along the way, and what he didn't expect was his father every day was standing in the house looking down the road longing for the return of his son, and when he saw him in the distance, he ran, and he threw his arms around him, and he hugged his neck, and he kissed him on the face, and he said, let's put a new ring on his finger, let's put a new robe on his shoulders, let's put new sandals on his feet, and let's throw a party to celebrate the fact that my son was once lost, and now he's found. That's the story Jesus told because that's the God we have. Someone once said, all roads out of hell lead home. And when a prodigal, any prodigal, whether it's the one in Jesus' story in Luke 15 or it's you or it's me, when a prodigal returns home, he doesn't receive from God judgment and punishment. He receives from God mercy and grace. All religions are not the same, and it does matter which path you follow. The second myth, real quickly, is even though Christianity might be different from other religions, it's still just one philosophy among many, but no more valid than any other. I know that's kind of lengthy. Let's say it again. Even though Christianity might be different from other religions, it's still just one philosophy among many, but no valid than any other. In other words, all religions have an equal claim on the truth. Somebody could say, you have your truth, I have mine. You have yours, I have mine. Now, this myth has a certain appeal because it relates to that tolerance that we talked about earlier in the message. It reflects the tolerance that is so valued in our culture today. And tolerance, again, real tolerance, genuine tolerance, is something that Christians need to value because we're taught in the Scriptures to value tolerance. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, Paul says, "'A servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be kind to everyone. I like those words. How about you? The next verse, verse 25, goes on to say, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those, those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. I like that. Under the U.S. Constitution, all religious viewpoints are equally protected. So in America, people can believe whatever they want to believe, and they're equally protected by the law. But as a result, a lot of people will jump to the erroneous conclusion that because different beliefs are equally protected by the law, that they must be equally true. And that's just not the case. What we really value as Americans, what we really should value as Americans, is the opportunity for truth and falsehood to grapple in unhindered debate so that in the end, the truth will prevail. Because in the end, the truth always prevails. It might not seem like it in the moment, but in the end, it always prevails. Somebody say amen to that. And so when you have someone like Jesus come along and say in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The question that you ask is, how do you know that Jesus is telling the truth? That's really the only question to ask. How can we believe that Jesus is telling the truth? And we've already talked about that in this series. In fact, Matt Pineda talked about that this past week. Matt is our high school pastor, and he did an excellent job talking about how Jesus backs up his claims and his uniqueness by 
authenticating those things through fulfilling dozens, if not hundreds, of centuries-old prophecies, performing miracles that demonstrate that he was not an ordinary man, that was actually God in human flesh. And if those things are not enough, in the end, ultimately, Jesus backs up his claim to be the truth by rising from the dead. Because of the uniqueness of Jesus, Christianity isn't some kind of abstract philosophy. It's a reality. Didn't, Jesus didn't just claim to be the one and only unique Son of God. He validated that claim like nobody else in history. And if you, with an open and an honest heart and mind, will, will pursue that knowledge, you can find it. The third myth is this. Christians are narrow-minded when they say that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, I, I will give you the fact that Christians might be acting in a narrow-minded way if there really were lots of different paths that led to God, but we just pushed our path as the only way. But that's really not the situation. What Christians are doing when they say that Jesus, when they trust the words of Jesus in John 14, 6, and say that he is the only way to God is that we're just simply reflecting the truth that God has revealed in the Bible. See, here at the end of the, at the, end of the day, here's the, here's the bottom line. We're all sinners. And because of that, we have a debt that we owe to God. Someone's got to pay the price for that. Somebody's got to pay that debt. So either we pay it our own, on our own, ourselves, or someone comes along and pays that for us. And Jesus, by virtue of who he was, and I'm talking about the fact that he was not just an ordinary man, that he was the son of God, that he was God in human flesh, came along and was not just willing, but he was qualified to take our place and die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. If Jesus were just an ordinary man at best, all he would have been able to do was to take the place of one other ordinary man and pay the price or pay the debt that that man owed to God because of sin. But because he was not an ordinary man, he was God in human flesh, his death on the cross satisfied God's need for justice for all humankind. Maybe you don't fully understand what that looks like or what that means. I've done this multiple times over the many years that I've been the pastor here. Let me do it one more time. This is the way I would explain it to children. I would say, let's just imagine that this Bible that I hold in my hand is not a Bible, but it's a record book of every single sin I've ever committed in my life. From the time I was old enough to be held accountable for my choices and my decisions and my actions, every mistake, every sin is recorded in the pages of this book. Let's go on to imagine that my left hand represents my life. This is me. If you take this record book of sin and you put it on top of my life, you don't even see me anymore. All you see is the reality of my sin. I am completely surrounded by covered up and identified by my sin. This is the reality of what you see when you look at my life. Let's imagine that my right hand represents God and he's up in heaven and because he loves me with an everlasting love, and that's the way God loves all of us, friends. That's what it says in the Old Testament, that God loves us with an everlasting love. He wants more than anything to have a relationship with me. He wants to live in fellowship with me. That's the deepest desire of God's heart, but he can't. Why? Because my sin stands between me and God. And the truth is, God is a holy God, and a holy God cannot live in fellowship. He cannot have a right relationship with an unholy man. A sinless God cannot live in fellowship with a sinful man. A righteous God cannot live in fellowship with an unrighteous man. And as long as my sin is there, there's going to be a separation between me and God because that's what sin does. It separates. That's what sin does. 
But again, because God loves me so much, he doesn't want that to be the last word about my life and his, the last word on our relationship. And so what did he do? Well, he came down into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. He was God in human flesh, Jesus was. And Jesus came in the world to die on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, God literally took all that sin that covered up my life. He placed it on Jesus and punished him from heaven in my place so that now, not because of anything that I've done or ever could do, but because of what Jesus has done, there's nothing that stands between me and God. If I put my faith and trust in Christ, I can have a right relationship with him. And that's not just the reality of my life, it's the reality of yours as well. That's the gospel. Right there. That's the simplest way I know to explain it. It's not narrow-minded to act upon the evidence of what is true. Just imagine that you and your husband or you and your wife had a brand-new baby girl, and you brought her home from the hospital, and after you brought her home from the hospital, she developed jaundice. Jaundice is a liver disorder that causes uh, our skin and the whites of our eyes to turn yellow. And so you contact the pediatrician, and you're scared to death, and you tell them what's going on. And the pediatrician tells you that while this can be potentially a dangerous disease, it's also one that's very easily treated. All you have to do is put your baby under a special light for a while, and that will stimulate her liver, and she'll quickly recover. Now, what if you as the parent said, that's too easy, that sounds too easy, we just can't believe that's true? What if we do this instead? What if we scrub her really hard with soap and then dip her in bleach? How about that as an alternative treatment? I'm sure if we worked hard enough, if we scrubbed hard enough, if we held her under long enough, that her normal coloring would return. But the doctor would say, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. That's not going to work. There's only one way to handle this. And the parents, you as a parent respond by saying, well, well, how about if we just ignore our daughter's symptoms altogether and just pretend that everything is okay? You call this jaundice, but that's your truth. That's not our truth. That's your truth. And if we sincerely believe our truth that nothing is wrong, then everything's going to work out. And the doctor will say emphatically, he will emphatically say, do not choose that course of action. The only way you can help your little girl is to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Listen, I've been to some of the best medical schools in the world. You can see my credentials. You can verify my credentials. I have treated hundreds, if not thousands of patients who have had the same problem, and I've not lost a single one. If you just do the research, you can see that I know what I'm talking about. You have reason to trust me. If those parents ultimately relent and trust the doctor's instruction, do you think anyone would accuse them of being narrow-minded because they only pursued one course of action to cure their little girl? That's not being narrow-minded. That's acting rationally in accordance with the evidence. At the end of the day, we all have a terminal illness in our life. It's called sin. And the reason why we cling to Jesus because, is because he is the great physician and the only possible cure. That's why we can try to scrub away our sin with our good deeds and our good actions and with the sincerity of our hearts for whatever it is that we believe. We can try to ignore that sin, hoping that it will go away. We can be sincere in believing that there is some other way of dealing with our problem, but at the end of the day, no matter what quality of lives we live, we would still be sincerely wrong. 
And so here's the bottom line for me. Christianity is unique because there is no one else like Jesus. And Christianity, because of the uniqueness of Jesus, simply cannot be reconciled with any other religion. Christianity backs up its truth claims with the credentials, credentials and the credibility of Jesus. That's why he said that he is the way and the truth and the life and that no one can come to the Father except through him. And you know, think about this. When Jesus made that statement, history didn't laugh at Jesus. History was changed by Jesus, revolutionized by Jesus, the world has been revolutionized by Jesus' words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Does that mean that we don't still have questions at times? No. That's the purpose of this entire series. It's called Room for Doubt. And we want to be a church that makes room for doubt. I I would so much rather have people who came to church every week with questions rather than people who just dismissed the church as being irrelevant because they didn't think anybody cared about their questions. You know, people say, what about, what about those who live in a remote part of the world who have never heard the name of Jesus? That's a common question. And you know what? That's a valid question. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who's a believer and you still ask that question. I've, I've wondered about that myself. And all, all I know to do is I turn my, my attention to the page of the Scripture and you look at Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, for example, where Paul tells us that the, 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 the wonder of the creation points to the reality of a creator. And so on that alone, Paul writes and says, no man is without excuse. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the wonder of his hands. Romans uh, chapter 2 also talks about the fact that, that we have a conscience and we have the conviction of our conscience. In other words, because man has been created in the image of God, we just live with this innate understanding that there is something greater than us, something bigger than us. Now, that we can try to dis, 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 uh, explain that away as something else, but it's, it's a cry in our deepest part of who we are to the reality that there is a God. At the end of the day, I also just remember the words of Genesis 18 and 25 where the question is asked, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Listen, I've been a Christian for over 50 years, and I believe in my heart that at the end of the day, God can be trusted with whatever question or difficulty that you might feel or ask in your life. I don't have all the answers to everything, but I have a God that I know that can be trusted. I trust in the righteousness of God. I trust in the grace of God. But the most important question in the moment is not related to those kinds of unanswered things or those things that puzzle us or become roadblocks at times. The most important question is, what do you believe about God today? What do you believe about God? Those of us who are listening to me online, what do you believe about God? What do you believe? What are you going to believe about the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin? How are you going to respond to that? I've got three quick suggestions, and then we're going to close. Brian, you go ahead and come. The first one is this. Listen to me, and I mean this genuinely. I'm going, to, I'm going to take it for granted that if you have those kinds of questions and you're here, that you are someone who is sincere. 
and that you are genuinely seeking, if that's the case, then you make a commitment to a sincere and systematic search for the truth because I believe that if you do that with regard to who Jesus is and whether or not Jesus can be trusted, whether or not he's credible, I believe if you make a sincere and systematic search for the truth in your life, you'll find out what you're looking for. You'll find the answers to your questions. I believe if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If you take a step toward God, he'll take a step toward you. And maybe it's in this area of trying to understand, can Jesus be trusted? Is Jesus really who he said he was? The second thing I would challenge you to do, and we heard a little bit about this in MPTV, is to join a spiritual discovery group. We've got spiritual discovery group leaders teed up right now in this church who want nothing more than just to be able to spend some time with you in a setting where they're not going to try to teach you, they're not going to challenge you, they're just going to let you talk with other people who also have questions, and together you're going to explore spiritual truths. If you'll commit yourself to doing that once a week for a period of time, then I guarantee it'll make a difference in your life. I did that a couple of years ago. I told you about it. I did that with Rick Neville, who's one of our elders, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I, I had the greatest relationship with the people who were in that group. The third one is this. Maybe, maybe you're here today, and you know, honestly, you, you have been here before, and you have heard these things before, and you have even felt the conviction of God on your heart before, but somehow you found a way to end up walking out the door the exact same way that you walked in. Don't do that today. There's a reason why your heart's being stirred. There's a reason why you feel convicted. There's a reason why you have this sense that something is missing in your life, that your life is not whole. You were created to live in fellowship with God, and if you're not living in fellowship with God today, your life will never be whole, never. And so why not decide today to surrender your life to Christ? Why not step over the line of faith in Christ today, knowing that you've still got questions, knowing that you've still got a long way ahead of you, but you decide today you're gonna trust Jesus to guide and direct your life? Why not do that today? I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for a chance to talk about the uniqueness of Jesus today. And I, I don't want to do that in a heavy-handed way. Uh, my, I, I, get, I get exercised in my, in, in my preaching sometimes, and, and I always preach with emotion and passion, but I don't want to come across as being unsympathetic to the genuine questions that people have. I just believe so strongly in the answers you provide. And I pray that you would guide and direct any searching heart this morning to choose one of the options that I suggested at the end and discover for themselves how you, through your son, can change their life for all eternity. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.